We are live. Live. We are live. My first podcast. Definitely not your last. Definitely not my last. Check, check, check. Mic check one, two. Let me show my headphones is up because I need to make sure I hear this person loud and clear. Very loud, very clear. We, we are here. Probably one of my favorite spiritual people on the pod right now. We got Mickey here. Always out here shining, always out here shimmering and shit. You know what I mean? So for those who don't know, Mickey was actually one of my castmates on the Hip Hop Nutcracker. That's where Mm -hmm. we met. And what a ride that was. That was a great ride. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I'll definitely take that hit again. Shit. We got the opportunity to. (laughs) If it wasn't for all y'all, who knows? I mean, we definitely, the people made that experience amazing. Oh Mm -hmm. my God, all the things that we got into. And that wasn't like, that wasn't your first rodeo, neither. You've been on enough, like, productions and tours and all that kind of stuff. That was my first one. Like, my first real oh, one. you did say that. I was local. Yeah. Local. So that was huge. It was. And I was, I remember being super nervous. Like, I remember being in the room the first time, like, our first production meeting. Yeah. We was all in the room. I'm like, yo, who are these people? Like... <laughs> You were nervous just because you didn't know us or just the whole situation? The whole situation, it was super foreign to me. Like, I've never toured around the nation, yet alone outside the country, because that's when we went to Russia. Yep. I'm just like, yo, what is about to happen? Oh my God. Every time I think of Russia, I think about that last night in the... Were you... (laughs) You can talk about it. It's fun. The best. I still, to this day, I feel like that's one of the top five experiences of my life. We went skinny dipping in the Baltic Sea. <laughs> Don't say we, cause I ain't do I ain't do that shit. <laughs> okay, but you were you were there though, right? Yeah, I was outside with you. Okay, you were just a spectator. You wanted to enjoy. You see, but you got to remember though. Remember, I was sick the in Russia. The optics. You were what? I was sick in Russia. Oh yeah. Yeah, remember like the first time we got to like Kaliningrad or something like that. I had like that fever. I, my uh, memory is failing me, but yeah. All right. Well, much, then you made the right decision. Dipping. I actually got, because remember, um, so for for those of you, this is so strange. You got to remember that you're also talking to a broad audience. I'm not just talking to you. No, you could. Should I just talk to you? Talk to me. All right, I'm talking to you. This is a Matt Violence podcast. <laughs> but remember how after, when we left Russia, I decided to go to Japan with Sophie? Oh, yeah. I remember that. So it's so funny, like how sometimes your memory doesn't even piece things together that happen. Mm-hmm. So when... When we went to Japan, I was sick, like high fever. You probably got me sick. No, that's not it. Me? It wasn't that. It was definitely they but definitely, naked. They definitely quarantined me. They, I had my own room. They damn near had me in a pres- presidential suite. Yeah, you were I'm good. Saying, I was, you were good. I was chilling. <laughs> that gym was great. Perks of being the instrumentalist, mm-hmm. soloist. He has to be okay. It was awesome. We did need you, though. You were integral, obviously, mm. you know? Um, but yeah, I was sick in Japan for like the first three days that we were there, like really sick. And I cut, and I'm like, why am I so sick? Like I had the chills and everything. Mm. And now when I think about it, like, duh, Skinny it was dipping. like freeze. It was January dead winter, <laughs> like girl. And we were drunk out of our minds. So our defenses were completely down in terms of our immune systems. Yeah. We, was, we was out there taking fire shots and all of that oh stupidness. <laughs> That was such a great night. And then I that was the first time I was ever late for a call time that oh, morning. Yeah, going I to remember. <laughs> Everybody I was, was waiting on you. <laughs> I was knocked out. I didn't pack nothing. Yeah, I don't even drink anymore. But that night we... Yeah, we, we, we was 
we was towed up. It was late. <laughs> we was towed up. It was crazy. But um, yeah, I remember being sick and I remember watching all y'all skinny dip. I'm like, yo, you guys all move different because not from where I'm from. What do you mean? I don't know. It's just like taking those chances. That's just something that was outside of my, you know, my grasp at that time. Mm. Again, I was super local. Like the most that I've done is probably like, I don't know, played in a different state, but you know, it's probably like a four hour drive or something like that. I might be playing like DC, which is not a state, mm. but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's just like playing outside of my country with all of these people that are just okay with taking all of these risks was foreign to me. Mm. I, I'm, I was not used to being around people like that. Mm. And that's part of the reason why I have you on here. It's just like, because of you guys, because of that experience, I've grown tremendously. Yeah. Like as far as my thinking goes. Yeah. It's just like, you can do whatever you want. There was one specific instance, and um, I don't know if it was your passport or if it was um, Alan's um, passport. Probably his. It probably, it probably was his. <laughs> what was it? Okay, so first of all, he pulled out his passport, and that shit was decrepit, like falling apart. <laughs> definitely his. <laughs> it was definitely his, right? But the part that was interesting to me is just like, the why is it so decrepit? He opened up his page to his stamps. Mm. I kid you not, it was covered up with stamps. Yeah. Covering everywhere. He's in South Korea right now. Of course he is. That's just Alan. <laughs> That's just Hurricane. He's just always I out somewhere. I love him. A huge piece of my heart. Yo, and it's just like, again, I've never experienced people like that. Mm. I'm like, why is your passport like that? And we had a long conversation about it. He was just like, you know, I just go out places and I meet people and then, you know, I'll just probably like sleep on that couch for three months. Yeah. It was because of him, actually, that Sophie and I had somewhere to stay when we went to Japan. Literally, we didn't know... Um, the, the girl at all, her name was Kitty. Miss you, if you watch this ever. <laughs> she was so amazing. And uh, there were actually two families that we stayed with. They opened, she had a studio apartment. Mm. She let Sophie and I sleep in her living room on a like blow up mattress. Um, solely based off the fact that she was a friend of Alan's. And Alan was like, hey, I have these two friends. You can trust them that are coming. And not only did she let us stay with her, she fed us, cooked for us. She gave us like, here, check these places out like gave us the ins and outs of transportation and all that like just way above above and beyond what was even asked of her and um it's funny because it was during that trip that that trip to japan that i realized that what i thought was nice and thoughtful and kind mm -hmm. was minuscule compared to what was possible Damn. I thought I was a nice and kind and considerate person and then traveling and being treated like so amazingly by strangers who didn't even know me at all made me expand my awareness on what it means to be thoughtful kind and considerate mm -hmm. um and i'm you know every day trying to be more of that you know and i've witnessed you i, I listen you guys really changed changed my perspective on a lot of things i've witnessed you be like super compassionate mm. and like just caring and hospitable to the best of your ability yeah you know sure. it's just like I remember we were in um, Charlotte. Never forget this. Uh-oh. I'll never forget this. What happened? <laughs> and I remember um, we all decided to go to Five Guys for some strange reason. And there's like a lot of homeless people in that specific like shopping area. Mm. So somebody was asking like, if, if, oh. if we had any like spare change or anything. It was my instinctive like intuition to ignore the homeless. Mm. Or, you know, people who are just down on their luck. That's just, yeah. that's just how it's always been. Mm -hmm. You know, living in the tri-state area in, in, in the Bronx and all of that. That's just... 
Just kind of ignore them. You know what I'm saying? If you got a little extra spare something, maybe you'll give them that. But I remember the way that you treated this particular person. Mm. He asked for some money. And you was just like, look, I'm not going to give you no money, but you can come with us to Five Guys. I'll buy you a meal. Mm-hmm. And he was super appreciative. I like, remember. He was so happy. He was mad <laughs> happy that you, yo, he was enjoying that burger. I didn't even want to eat mine. I was like, yo, who else need this? I don't need this shit, bro. Like, I was like, nah. But it's, it was refreshing to know that somebody is just doing this out of compassion. Mm. Just out of the kindness of their, of their heart, you know. No cameras. Yeah. No, you know, you're not boastful about it. It's just like, we're human. We, we're hungry. We can eat. I can, I can afford an extra meal. We was getting yeah. per diem. Get, Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? It's just, For sure. Come on. It was not going to take anything away from me. But look, I think about the many times in my life that people have been that for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um and I definitely wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't have those angels coming into my life. Mm-hmm. So if I could, if it's not going to be detrimental to me in any way, why not? Right. You know what I mean? And also it kind of is a selfish act in a way too, if you really think about it. Because it's like, all right, if I give this man money, then somewhere in the back of my head I'm thinking, damn, am I contributing to something that's going to be negative to him and so instead of like having that back of my mind chatter like what is he going to do with this money then i'm like all right are you hungry Mm -hmm. if you say yes come on let's go get something to eat i'll give you something to eat and that's and then that kind of takes away me wondering what what this money is going towards so it's kind of selfish in a way too i get something i get some peace of mind and you get a nice meal (laughs) i mean at the end of the day it's still your money it's still your resources that's true you know and it's just like on a human to human level. It's just like, bro, if you're hungry, come on, like, just let's just get you some food. At yeah, minimum. yeah. I always tried to do that because um, I remember when I first moved to New York. Um, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm this nice little person. I'm like, and everybody's banging on the train. Everybody. You give everybody a dollar, you broke. <laughs> I used to give change to every homeless person that was asking for it like mm-hmm. if, if I could, I would, you know. And then after a while, I'm like, I can't keep giving everybody my money, you know. And then I. I can't remember um, who shared that that act, that type of act with me. Um, like instead of just giving your money, like listen to when your spirit is telling you. Because there's also, uh, not to get too off subject, but there's also a kind of like, sometimes we think we hide behind being nice, right? We're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm giving my, I'm giving this money. It makes me feel good about myself. That I'm the nice person giving all these homeless people money. Cause, but really, are you? If you're just doing it because it makes you look good or you're, it's giving you a notch mm-hmm. in some kind of like ego way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember speaking to someone and them suggesting like, just really f- listen to if it feels right or not. For you to give somebody something. Don't just go giving everybody everything. You know what I mean? Right. And so I really took that. That really resonated with me. And I always now, like, um, I fight that urge to just give because I feel like I'm expected to. Because I feel like it's the right the right thing to do to be a good citizen of this world. Right. I fight that urge and I listen to my intuition. Like, does my intuition really want to give from a space of... Where I'm not gonna be in the back of my mind, like you should, yeah. What is this person gonna do with it? Or if, if, so that my giving is not contingent upon the outcome. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I'm just if I'm in a space and someone's asking me, and I'm able to just be like, yep, and keep it going without even a thought, then I I I, I do that. I try my best to do that. I've seen people give 
almost out of like a, a guilt trip sense. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, you probably shouldn't give if yeah. you feel guilt trip to do so. Yeah, I believe so. And then even, I, I know I'm not that person and I'm not going to say who that person is. <laughs> but even with that being said, my own intuition, it's just like, I don't think you really mean this. Mm. You know, I can feel it. The energy behind it doesn't feel genuine. Yeah, an energy does not lie. It don't lie to me. We might not be always privy to, you know, what, how to decipher or what it means, but it's always present. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like this idea about sacrifice, too. Um, I listened to this in, like, uh, I, listened to, I listened to a, I hate to call it church because it's not really church. Mm-hmm. It's more like a spiritual sermon. Um, it's an online service called Agape, and uh, Dr. Reverend Bernard Beckwith leads it. But he was talking about this idea of sacrifice, and if it's, uh, um, if if the idea of sacrifice is even really a thing, mm-hmm. you know, like if we are just usually when we say we sacrifice, it's because we're doing so. Um, we're, we're using the idea to say, oh, I, I gave all of this. I did all of this for this person. So it makes us the good guy, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but when you think about it, no one ever really does anything that they don't want to do. Even if <laughs> what you're doing might not be necessarily beneficial to you. You're not going to do it if, you, if some part of you doesn't want to do it. You know, think of it, even if you're staying in a toxic relationship, there's some part of you that feels like you're deserving of this space at some level, even if you're not aware of it. Or there's something on the opposite side of your alleged sacrifice or suffering. Say that again? You might stay in like this toxic relationship because you may believe that there is something on the opposite side of that suffering. Mm. Or your sacrifice for staying. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Which is not true. Um, not say true. it again. We've all been there. No, it's not <laughs> true. It's it's just like this ideology that like um there's a reward from your suffering is mm. something that I'm really trying to abandon. Mm. You know? Yeah. Some things things are just shitty because they're shitty. And that's <laughs> it. It's not gonna get any better than this. Yeah. Move I, on and put yourself in a place where you can grow and thrive. Absolutely. Nothing more, nothing less. Yeah. You know, I hate getting into the whole relationship talk, but, um, <laughs> oh man. But I, I just thought about something. Go ahead. Yeah. You've definitely been in spaces where you've worked with, um, Will Smith and, and um, Jada Pinkett. No, I haven't you, worked you did with girls, them. You did, you did um, Girls Rock and they were there or something oh, like that. They okay, were backstage. Yes. Yeah, they, they were, yeah, I did do Black Girls Rock where um, Jada Pinkett was uh, awarded. Um, she was honored that night and Will Smith kind of presented it for her. So, yeah, yes, they were there. I didn't work with them, but mm-hmm. we were in the same space. In my head, you worked with them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care nobody say my, my homegirl did that. <laughs> I don't care what she did. Well, you could have had them water. Oh, you're worse than my mom. Yeah, Mickey did this. I'm like, oh my god. I didn't do none of that. <laughs> I remember when I did my first like, um, uh, I was doing an off Broadway show. I've mm-hmm. never done Broadway. Mm-hmm. Well, leave it to her and everyone that she's told. Mickey done all Broadway. I'm like, I've never done Broadway. It's off Broadway. 
Not Broadway. <laughs> it's close enough to, for her. She just proud of I you. Mean, That's it. No, for sure. I understand. For sure. Um, but I do remember uh, that particular show um, because I'm a huge fan of Jada Pinkett. And um, I've always been a, I don't want to say fan, but I really respect and admire her um, not just for her work, but for her um, beingness in this mm -hmm. world. And I've always respected Will Smith's um, kind of perspective on life and responsibility. And um, so I, I was geeked to be in that space. And I remember we were waiting on stage to go perform. And uh, no, we were, he was waiting to go present. And we walked past him off of our, like, uh, we had our, um, our tech run. Mm -hmm. And I remember, like, Cause he's so massive. He's like six something, and I remember walking past him and you and feeling it could have been all in my head, but I felt this just amazing energy of you know, power. You like, know, it's funny. I remember um, when you told me that story. I'm like, that shit was sexy, right? You was like, yeah, that shit was sexy. Sexy. <laughs> that shit was he sexy is sexy. <laughs> I mean, come on, think about it. Think about when you feel most sexy. I know when I feel most sexy, I feel deeply rooted super connected to there's no one better than me there's no one subordinate to me i just feel like i am just deeply rooted and connected to everything and when we're in that space we have full access to our power what's more sexy than that than a person who knows exactly who they are and what they have to offer to the world you know mm. And who knows if he really felt that space, but that's what I felt coming off. <laughs> Yo, we did say energy don't lie. It so. don't lie. That shit ain't lie. <laughs> that, that's a joke. <laughs> but no, it's funny that you bring that up about power and feeling sexy. Mm. Some of like the strangest moments where, you know, and I, some of the strangest moments that I've had when people have approached me, like women, mm. is when I was alone. So, Strangest moments? Yeah. Okay. It's just like, like you know, I was just sitting here at the bar. I saw you here, but like by yourself. Like I just think that you're super handsome. Blah blah blah. <laughs> Mind you, there's no women that that was speaking to me in that voice. Uh, I was like, like, you might be worried. <laughs> somebody talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> but nah, it's just like, I think um, for me, one of my biggest superpowers comes from solitude. Yeah. When I'm alone. I'm at peace with a lot of the thoughts that I may have, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. Mm -hmm. I'm at peace. I've made like, okay, if, if the situation goes left, right, up, or down, whichever way it goes, I'm cool with that. Mm. That's that. Yeah. I don't know how that energy radiates and how that may translate to other people. Mm. But I've noticed that when I'm alone and I'm okay and I'm at peace. Yeah. That's when it translates into people approaching me. Because mm -hmm. I've gotten a lot of times, like after shows and everything, like people will tell me like, yo, you just, I know I follow you on Instagram and I know that we speak every now and then, but you just seem like unapproachable. Mm. I'm just like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm like, oh, is it, is it my, my resting bitch face? <laughs> it's not. It's, it's not. I'm sure like for people who don't know me, they might interpret that as somebody who doesn't want to be approached. Yeah. But for me, it's just like, this just might be a show to you guys, mm -hmm. but this performing stuff, it takes a lot out of me. It, it takes like a different kind of focus. It's a yeah. different person you're talking to. Mm. You know, like the Matt to Matt that you and I may know, Yeah. 
We can we can have these kind of conversations casually. Mm-hmm. Matt, after a show, I can barely get my words together. Cause my brain is just like, all yeah. that focus is just in the work. Mm. And I've noticed that too. With myself, I find it really hard to find words when I'm about to perform or when I'm done performing. Mm. I don't know what it, what it is. It's almost like it's almost as if that part of my brain is shut off. Mm. It's yeah. hard to interpret things. It's hard to to respond. Mm. You know. Because you're moving into your zone. I'm still in the zone. You know, it's almost, it's almost like being in shock. Mm. You know, you can be in shock and still like look normal. Mm-hmm. But it's like what's, whatever's going on under the hood is mm-hmm. something ridiculous. Like, yeah, you know, I can understand that, especially if it's like um, a show that I'm particularly nervous about or, you know, there's lots of things to think about. Um getting in the zone requires a deep centering and a deep focus. So if there's any inquiry outside of what you need to be focused on, um, it kind of takes you out of that bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can definitely relate to that. Um, but you do have, I think that <laughs> typically <go>. speaking, <laughs> on a purely aesthetic and physical realm, right? We ain't talking about where we really are. Um, I think you, uh, it's not that you're, you seem unapproachable. I just think that you're a very reserved person unless somebody poaches you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. I, I like to say guarded. Mm. You know, I, I think in my experience of being Matt and Matt violinist or whatever like entertainer that I can switch into. Yeah. There have been a lot of things that have been super misinterpreted, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, it's not to say that one form of this is higher than the other, but an entertainer speaking to a, you know, a regular Joe Schmo who has nothing to do with that entertainment aspect yeah. tend not to think the way that I think. Mm-hmm. They don't move the way that I move. And you know, you've noticed from experience. Oh, yeah. Like oh, having yeah. conversations with people. Yeah, there's, there's been times I've bombed in some conversations. What do you mean bombed? It's, it's just like, I've, I'll say this. Um, I might think that a particular joke might be appropriate. It's not. Oh, I see what you're saying. But it's not, I'm not trying to be offensive. This is just Matt being Matt. Yeah. You know? And I have this, this thing now where I try my best not to beat myself up. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, you know what, instead of throwing yourself out there, just pull back a little bit. Hmm. This is not for them. It's for me. Isn't that so interesting? I just find it so curious that as an artist, what we're doing is so deeply personal, right? What, like creating art is such a personal space. Hmm. There's such um, a degree of vulnerability that you have to allow yourself to enter into. But then because art is commercialized now, right? There's, art has become a commodity. Um, we enter in this space where we have to differentiate our professional selves from our artistic selves. And it's like finding the balance, the middle way of, of being an artist and being who I am fully. First. First and foremost, which, which I can't divorce myself from my who my artistic nature it's Mm -hmm. who i am but this world where everything needs to be packaged nicely and easily digestible you have to figure out and pc (laughs) 
<laughs> you have to figure out how to navigate in this space. Um, how to navigate effectively in that space. And I, and it, it's, I don't want to say it's unfair because, right, it's putting the power out there. But it's like, damn, people, artists are people. Right. If you're going to talk to me, you, you're talking to me. Now, yeah. of course, we need to be sensitive when we have conversations. Do we? That's a great question. I don't maybe, think, maybe I, not. I don't think so. Maybe, maybe not. And again, okay, what are the extremes? So, like, what's an extreme situation if you be, of you being completely not sensitive to what's going on? And what is the outcome? Completely not sensitive. Okay. I'm going to think, think of... I'm going to think of an example in a second. Okay. I'll say this, though. Me being sensitive to something is based on what I believe I need to be sensitive on. Mm-hmm. Not to what the masses think that I need to be sensitive on. Going okay. back to the PC thing. Mm-hmm. So if somebody falls and busts their ass, and I think this shit is hilarious, and everybody else is like, somebody call an ambulance. Yeah. She's like, and if I start laughing, I'm not laughing because you hurt yourself. I'm just laughing because the way you fell was just hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. I do care if you're okay, but I'm going to laugh first. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I know you're the same way. That's why we're so friends. Maybe- <laughs> Yo. We don't have a contrast of opinion here, so maybe we should just move to another <laughs> no, topic. No, we're going to stay on this motherfucker. This is where the juiciness is. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but yeah, that's, it's like stuff like that. It's like, I don't have to be sensitive to that. That shit is hilarious. I mean, you're right. Essentially, you don't have to be sensitive to anything, right? But... I don't like that word, but... Because, really, if we want to make this world... I hate to go to like (laughs) Bible, but right? They say, do unto others as you want done to you. And I don't think that's specifically Bible. I feel like in every religion, in some way, shape, or form, Mm -hmm. that is an undertone, the undertone of a message. You know, do unto others as you want done to you. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think at some level, there is a degree of sensitivity that comes with the responsibility of being a human being. Otherwise, we would just be running rampant in this world. You don't think we're running rampant now? Yeah, we are. We are on the streets. And I'll say this, too. It's just like, I think being sensitive and feeling your feels and just moving how your inner being is telling you how to move. Mm -hmm. Again, you determine that. Absolutely. I determine when that sensitivity switch goes on. Mm -hmm. Not the office. Mm -hmm. Not whoever's hiring me. They don't determine that. Yeah. At the end of the day, you are responsible. I get what you're saying, though. You're saying you're making the difference between... Um, censoring yourself based off of what is deemed, you know, appropriate by society versus being cons- being a considerate human being. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, that's a very important distinction distinction to make. Um, but I do know people who are just like, uh, um, oh, I'm just being honest. I'm not rude. I'm just being honest. And that I feel like that is kind of. Um, that's cowardice to not really look at how your actions benef- are um, in- impacting the world. Uh, I think to it is our responsibility to not only make sure that we're catering to our intuition and staying true to ourselves and standing firm in our yeses and firm in our noes, right? Mm-hmm. That is number one priority. But I think we don't live in this world by ourselves, no. right? So... S- very close second place 
is being emotionally intelligent enough to recognize when your energy is affecting, not when, but how, because your energy is always affecting what's happening outside of you. Mm -hmm. But how is your energy affecting? And is there something, if it's, ha if it's having a negative effect, is there something that I can do that is not detrimental to my truth and, who, and what I need to be 100% in this space that I can change or alter to make the world a better place? You know, I think that's important to investigate. And I think if we did that more often, we would live in a more peaceful world. But what do I know? That's just my thoughts. Nah, you know a lot. <laughs> and I, I don't think you're wrong. There's, there's just, there, there are just certain sentiments that you're speaking of now that I just have just questions about. Yeah, sure. You know, it's just like, it's almost as if you're saying like, your actions make this world a better place, right? And that's, that's essentially our goal, is to make this world a better place. Better or worse. <sighs> that ain't my job, homie. That, like, that, that's how I feel about it. You know what I'm saying? That's not my job. I can't change the world. I can only change the people around me. You can't even, What makes you think that you can change the people around you, but you can't change the world? This, this is the way I think, right? And this this dives deeper into like even like the whole Black Lives Matter thing, and I, but I don't I don't I don't want to ramble. I don't want to rant. I just want to talk about how I think about change okay. and how to effectively change. Mm -hmm. First and foremost, if I want to change anything, I have to change myself. Mm -hmm. If I'm lucky, I can change whoever's in my household. That household could affect the neighbor. The neighbor could affect the block. The block could affect the neighborhood. The neighborhood affects the city. The city affects the state. And. So on and so forth. Exactly. So I don't feel like, mm, I want to be very careful about how I say this. I think first and foremost for me, the change, like whatever it is that I'm going to do or not do has to sit right with me first. It has to be my truth. Right. Absolutely. First and foremost. It's the first pillar. And the most important one. Absolutely. Is it your it's priority. truth? And if it's not, is it even worth you know, sparing somebody's feelings if it's not your truth. Exactly. Is I it, think we're saying the same thing. We might be. Yeah, I think we're saying exactly the same thing. Th this is thing. definitely not my sharpest day today. God damn. <laughs> shit, we should, we should end this shit right now and reschedule. Shit. <laughs> Keep going. I'm listening. <laughs> Did you end it? No. Oh. <laughs> Camera can only record for 30 minutes. Oh, okay, okay. Damn, no. sorry. Um, yeah, no, I think we're, we're saying the same thing. Like, like I said, the first thing is to make sure that you're... In alignment with your truth and your spirit and your intuition and what's right for you. And then your second, you know, and this is just what I think, you know, um, that your second responsibility as a, a human, a contributing human being to our, our, um, our world is to consider how your actions may or may not affect the world, mm -hmm. you know? And I think... I think when we don't do that, right? When we think that the little actions that we do every day is not really affecting anyone, right? When we don't see, when we're so stuck living in our world, right? Like how we were talking about earlier, when we're stuck living in this body, my experience, my thoughts, my problems, when we're stuck in this space, that's when the world seems small. That's when you feel like, I, 
if you win, that means you're taking from me. That's when it becomes a scarcity mentality. That's when you start to feel like you can't trust people. That's when you start to contract. But when we expand our awareness beyond this physicality, right? Mm -hmm. When we expand our awareness beyond our thoughts and our emotions and our feelings and our perceptions, right? We are living in a space of abundance, we realize that we are not limited to this box, right? And then we're, we're more available for love. We're more available for expansion. We're more af- available for co- cooperation versus competition. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I, oh, go ahead. No, finish your thought. I was just going to say that I think the more that we attune to our inner beings and our spirits, right? And kind of prune that space like we were talking about earlier about like letting of um, working through traumas and moving through them and learning how to respond instead of react the more emphasis and priority we put on that journey our self journey then our world is going to reflect that like i know we we don't you don't necessarily want to get into everything that's happening in the world but this is where we are it's kind of hard not to right um and i think I hear a lot of people saying like, oh my God, I can't believe the state of our world and what we're going mm-hmm. through. And for me, I don't feel that. I wish that I could say I'm surprised, you know, because the state of our world didn't just manif- make manifest out of thin air. Air. The state of our world is a direct reflection of the state of our inner, be- our inner being. The state of our world is a direct reflection of our collective consciousness. Every single individual has played a part in the outcome that we are presently seeing. And I think back to what I was saying earlier, when we can more effectively ask ourselves, what part did I play? Or what change can I make? Or how are my actions affecting the world, right? Then we can see a world that reflects um, peace what we all really want. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's why with, I I, I guess I can bring it to something specific, this whole Black Lives Matter and police brutality thing that we've, unfortunately, are super familiar with. These aren't aren't old stories. These are like constant, repetitive narratives that just keep playing out. Yeah. You know, and I feel like you, you spoke on like, what are you doing to either contribute to it or to change it. Yeah. For me personally, and I, this is this is not a knock to anybody else who decides to fight this fight differently. Yeah. I don't think that this fight for me lies in protesting, rioting, or begging somebody to change the rules. I don't think that's where it lies for me. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason why I feel that way. It's just like even the whole slogan, Black Lives Matter. If I, when I, okay, if I say that, if I say Black Lives Matter out loud, who am I speaking to? If I say that to you, Mickey, Mickey, Black Lives Matter, and then be like, Matt, I know, I'm black. You know what I'm saying? I value my life. I put value on your life. Mm-hmm. I'm here to protect you. I'm here to invest in you. I'm here to make sure that you grow and that you can, you can thrive mentally, emotionally, financially, and spiritually. Mm-hmm. We know this. Mm-hmm. Who are we talking to? You're talking to people who don't, who may not agree with that sentiment. Right. You're talking to people who do not put value on black lives. Mm-hmm. Now, with that being said, 
What am I doing to put value into black lives, to protect black lives, and to invest in black lives? Mm-hmm. Right? What am I doing? This platform is part of that. You know why? Because I think it's super important for black people to control black narrative. Mm-hmm. I don't need Fox to speak for me. Mm-hmm. I can speak for myself. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I put my own hard work, my sweat equity, my blood, my sweat, my tears, whatever. I put all of that into people that look like me, that I can thrive with. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So for me, and again, I don't think there's anything wrong with people protesting or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I just know this is not my calling. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I, I respect that. So, and I, go ahead. It's not my calling, and I don't know what it is. It doesn't sit right with me, and it's not in my essence to be like, this system is fucked up because of white people. White people change it. And you're gonna sit there, and you're gonna pout, you're gonna throw your tantrums, change it. It's just like, are y'all serious? So it's just like, it's just like this. Do you think that the same people that designed a system that wasn't meant for you to thrive are going to change it now just because you asked them to? Mm-hmm. What is that really going to do? And I'm also, you know, part of my job is self-awareness and just reflecting and really understanding why things happen the way that they happen. Mm-hmm. One thing that I cannot shake off of my spirit that everybody is pandering. Corporations are pandering. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they do you think that they're they're sending all of these email blasts and blogs and, and stuff stuff like that talking about oh like like we support Black Lives Matter? Do you think they're doing that because they care? Or they're trying not to affect their bottom line? Which one? Mm-hmm. For me personally, I don't care what side these corporations stand on. Mm-hmm. That doesn't bother me. Do not use our struggle as a ploy to sell your products. Mm-hmm. Let's not do that. Mm-hmm. And also, when it comes to like government and, and things of that nature, too, when people are, are now out in the streets protesting and everything, it's just like, I understand what caused the initial uproar. Yeah. We have a black man that was killed unjustly in a situation that was already controlled. What is the immediate ramifications for that for the police officer and the, and the officers involved mm-hmm. we obviously want some sort of justice for them right okay moving on what else do you want to prevent this or to at least diminish the number the percentage of this happening more often mm-hmm. right to me the answer is not like oh it's all messed up just change it no you need to know exactly what you want what do you want because you do understand that these laws vary from district to dis- district to district state to state mm-hmm. It's, it's not all the same. It's not all the same. How can I say it? The solution is, is tailor-made. Mm-hmm. It's not one size fits all. Mm-hmm. What do you want? And again, from these like local governments and everything, oh, I'm paying attention too. You think that they don't pander too? Mm-hmm. There was one, there was one initiative, initiative, right? That, um, that, they, that they were trying to um, use in New York State. I forgot the name of it specifically. I'm going to paraphrase. And if I'm wrong... Whatever, I'm wrong, right? So they were pretty much saying that like this initiative was going to pretty much investigate, penalize, and determine whether or not officers need extra training if they are involved in any sort of like 
violence or some sort of violence or abuse of their power of certain sorts. Mm -hmm. And the people that are going to investigate these instances is going to be the, um, dad, what is it? Internal affairs? What, whatever it is. is. Is it internal affairs? I'm not sure. Okay, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> it, my point is like the, the people that they are putting on this job to now, to me. Are not unbiased. No, 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 no. The people that they are putting on to like allegedly have reform in this police field. Yeah. These are coming from departments that already exist. Mm -hmm. They already exist. I think it is internal, uh, internal affairs. Internal affairs is nothing but ex-cops. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? These are people that got the backs of other cops. Right, that's what I'm saying. So they're, so, unbiased, they're unbiased source. So it's just like, fam, do you really think that they're going to change this just because you asked them to? Or are they going to just act like they're going to change it? They're pandering, fam. So in my head, it's this. If the power, if you're not asking for the power to be back in your hands, you will always lose. Mm -hmm. You are in control, not them. So for me, I had to think about this too. What, what do I want done? You know what I'm saying? If Matt, if Matt, if you notice all of this stuff, what would you recommend? This is what I personally recommend, recommend, right? I've heard people say that I don't want any police officers in my neighborhood that don't look like us to police us. I said, okay, so how would we do that? So in my head, I'm like, maybe there could be some sort of incentive for officers that want to join the, the police force. You get like a bonus if you're from this neighborhood or a certain mile radius of that neighborhood that you're about to, that you're about to be policing in. Mm -hmm. You get paid more for that. We encourage people from this neighborhood to police these people. You know them. You've grown up around them. You know how this stuff moves. You know how it goes, yeah. right? Number two, talking about power being back in the people's hands as opposed to being in the hands of the government. Mm -hmm. What if there was a situation where, let's say like 40% of the new police graduates are voted in by, voted in by the people mm. and the way that they're voted in is by we get to see like their their service jackets if they served in, in the military mm -hmm. is does this person suffer from ptsd is he shell-shocked mm -hmm. you know did he witness people die like you know you know what i'm saying did he had any dis disciplinary actions taken out against on him mm -hmm. i want to know that and if i see that i'm not gonna lie i'm like nah make this motherfucker work the desk you know what I'm saying? Because I feel like you might not be right yeah, in the I head. Yeah, I mean, I understand where you're coming from. So, again, I guess to wrap it all up, I just feel like my calling is in the control of my platforms, mm -hmm. ultimately. Mm -hmm. You know, this platform, like this whole Matt Violence podcast stuff is just like, I'm excited for it. I, obviously, it has to grow. It has to like be organic and everything. But I know it's going to going to be something really, really amazing. It already is something really amazing. And you are right about that. Thank you. You're welcome for correcting me. <laughs> you know. But I guess I'm saying all of that to say is that like change. In order for me to affect change on the masses, I have to be able to change things within myself first. Absolutely. Um, you just said a mouthful, Pulse. and there were so many. <laughs> There were so many uh, points that I wanted to bring up as you were talking, but I didn't want to cut you off. I should have had a little, little notepad here. But um, I will say what I feel is most important to recognize. Um, first, um, it takes a great degree of courage to step out into 
your purpose, right? And essentially, that's what you're doing with this podcast. You felt a calling that this was needed. You said it's important to you for us to narrate our own stories. And I think that is super important. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to recognize um, that, like, I applaud you for your courage in this space. Um, So I wanted to say that first because it is important. It's not, some people think, I don't know, when you're not, it takes a lot of courage to step out into the unknown and put yourself out there, you know? And you're doing that. And you're providing a space where people can um, be honest and share their stories, which is important, right? Mm -hmm. Because representation does matter. It's important. The second thing that I think is important to recognize is just like, you say that um, you, you've recognized what your peace is in this whole. That's a blessing. Um, and I think it's important to note that all the pieces are needed. Right? So to very clearly, like you stated when you, when you first started, I'm not knocking anyone whose calling is protest. Right? I think to not only be clear about stating that, in theory, but to live that truth through action. Because I see a lot of people in this moment comparing their actions to others in righting one action and wronging another. And I think what is most important to recognize is that every piece is needed. Right. Right? Like you can't win a chess game with just the queen or the king. Every piece is needed. Um, And this whole idea of working together collectively and making actual progress um, comes with analyzing what you have to offer to the space, right? Mm -hmm. And when I'm entering into a room, I'm not thinking about everything that's wrong. Why would I do that? What, What is that doing for this room? When I'm entering into this space, I am thinking, how can I add to this space? I feel like that's a more uplifting way of being. And if we can embrace that more in our lives, it will translate to this as well. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as the Black Lives Matter movement, um, I think they're very clear about what they want. Um, and sometimes... I'm not here to say what's right or what's wrong, um, but I do see that it is essential what's happening now. And I do see that um, there is effective change being made at a much faster pace than ever in the history um, of oppressed blacks in America. And I think that's important to note. And... um, I just feel like we're in such a unprecedented time of change. And to speak to your point, for any change to be made, it requires a consistent pruning of ourselves mm-hmm. and ability for us to change ourselves. Um, but we can't underestimate the power of working together. You know what I mean? Because we can't do anything alone. You could try. It might take a little longer. It's true, but you can't also like you can't reach the heights that you could reach if you try to go alone. 
Think of anyone who's had any incredible amount of success. No one has done that on their own. And if they do, they a bold-faced lie. Okay. Seriously. Okay. I'm, I'm not even going to... You ain't going to touch it? I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to touch it. <laughs> okay. I'm not. I ain't got nothing to say to that. I'm not going to try to make it up. But yeah, I mean... There's, there's a ton of importance in moving as a collective. Yeah. And to be honest, I, again, I do feel like I'm speaking from a, a, pl- a place of privilege, even, even at the fact that I have this way of thinking. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And it's just like, and I, th- and I think it's like that for me only because I work for myself. I've been working for myself for over 10 years. Mm-hmm. Nothing is guaranteed for me. Nothing. Mm. Feast and famine. That's, that's how this world for me operates in. Mm. You know what I'm saying? If you want to have that feast, you have to figure out a way to make sure that these trees are always bearing fruit. Mm. You know? So in my head right now, when it comes to going back to the whole na- controlling our own narrative and having this, this platform for people to just speak and tell their truths, it's just like, instead of only planting one seed that only grows in the summertime, I can plant seeds now and different fruits and vegetables that can bear fruit and vegetables during the fall. Mm-hmm. I go, shit. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So now it's just like, what the fuck am I saying? <laughs> Seems like you're saying you're, you've expanded your yes. base. Yes. Instead of growing taller, I'm growing wider. Mm. You know? And it's, I don't know what it is, <laughs> but it feels right. You yeah. know? And I, I feel the- like, go ahead. What were you about to say? I was just going to say, I think that's one of the most important things, mm-hmm. you know. I, mm, it's kind of debatable too, right? Because our feelings are so temperamental and they fluctuate. And then they don't necessarily, um, they are one small expression of who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to catch myself because I, a lot of times... Um, People are bound, or we, or I, are bound by our feelings. Like, you know, you hear people say, oh, that's just how I am. No, it's not. It's how you choose to be, mm-hmm. you know? Or I'm just, you know, I'm real, or I'm this, or, you know what I mean? Like, we're choosing to be every facet of who we are, whether it's subconscious, whether it's conscious or unconscious. That actually brings me to one of the stories that you told me while we were on tour. I remember you said, I don't know where you went, and I don't want to uh, misconstrued where you went or, like, whatever. But I remember you said you did this, like, meditative class for, like, mm. X amount of days. It was, like, yeah. 14 days or something like that. Yeah, I did uh, 12 days. Um, it was Vipassana meditation, mm-hmm. which is crazy because we really haven't talked about my trip that I just did in Thailand so since then, I've done 21 days. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, at the time, yeah, I was talking about, it was in Massachusetts, um, a particular modality of meditation called Vipassana meditation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was uh, meditate um, from sunup to sundown. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually 10 days minus the, in, the day of entrance and the day of exit. Um, so you're, again, you take kind of five precepts from the Buddhist um, tradition and so you take a, a oath of noble silence 
Um, you take an oath of no eye contact. Uh, you take an oath of, you know, not killing anything. So mosquitoes biting you, then you can't kill that. <laughs> um, you take an oath of no sexual intercourse. Um, and then the other uh, uh, noble silence. I can't remember the, right, the other one right off the top of my head. But so essentially, you would wake up at four o'clock in the morning. You meditate from four to six. You'll have breakfast from 6 to 7. You meditate from 7 to, to 11. You have lunch from 11 to 12. And then you meditate from 12 until you go to bed at 10 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. um, and so you only eat those. You don't eat after 12 o'clock. Um, and at that time, this was in 2016, um, that I was telling you about this story. But I think I did that maybe it was like 2012 or 2013. At that time, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life um, to essentially have the task to bear witness to my mind and what was arising and what was falling mm -hmm. um, and to, on a very basic level, sit that still in one position for two hours, two and a half hours at a time. Because mm -hmm. you had like little breaks in between. And then you would go back and do another sitting. Um, so it was very, very hard, um, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. But it was such a profound experience. And at the degree that I got to meet myself. Um, and I, I honestly, in all my life, that was the first time that I actually got to meet myself mm -hmm. and sit down and have dinner with myself and be like, yo, I don't like you have arguments with myself. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause I never had that. Maybe I got to meet myself. The way that I did that was through dance. And I didn't realize that that was my spiritual practice. It was just the thing that I had that took me away from my crazy ass life at the time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so I'm. That's why I'm so grateful for the arts because oftentimes that is, especially as a black person, our only escape. And even though we may not be looking at it as a spiritual outlet, it is. It's saving our lives, literally. If I didn't have dance, there, there would have, I would not have had an outlet, you know? Um, and so that particular experience allowed me to be completely present for the first time in my life um, through conscious effort, right? So like I said, I've, I've, I've been able to dance and I've been able to escape into this space where I'm very present in my movement. Mm -hmm. But that, it was like hit or miss with that. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, I wasn't consciously um, on a mission to experience presence. And even saying it like that is, is yeah. words can't. Words are so confining and limiting. And insufficient. And insufficient, absolutely. Um, but I'm grateful for words, thank you, because we're allowed to communicate if we didn't have them. <laughs> Lord, Lord, who knows where we would be? So I am grateful for them, but they, they don't, they, they're not able to really sum up exactly the essence of what I'm saying. Um, but uh, where was I? I was talking about uh, being able to, uh, yes, be present for the first time ever. Um, literally without, you know, 
thinking about what's happening in the future or worrying about what happened in the past. Literally being able to, I remember, uh, I don't want, if for anyone who ever wants to try Vipassana, I don't want to like, I don't want to spoil alert because everybody has their own experience, right? So I won't go too much into like details, but I know um, like around my fourth day of meditation, I remember it was so hard. I remember sitting in that spot like, I'm out of here. I can't, I'm leaving. I'm not doing this anymore. I remember the night before that, I was so horny. I wanted to masturbate so bad. Listen, we real it's here. True, it's we true. real. It's, true, it's what yeah. happened. I remember, and I'm like, God, I took this damn oath. I can't. I was like, I, I was done. So I was sitting there like, after this, I'm, I'm out of here. I can't do this anymore. And... I'm sorry, it wasn't the fourth day, it was the fifth day that I was having this particular like breakdown. Literally, I was having a breakdown because I could not, I couldn't control my mind. So basically what I just, the meditation was scanning your body, uh, um, bearing witness to what arises in your body, whatever sensations, and letting them go, not attaching to them. And my mind was all over the place and I couldn't. And the moment I surrendered, and I know a lot of people talk about this so often, this point of surrender. What does this mean, really? Even I've read so much, and until that moment, I knew what it meant intellectually, but I could, I didn't know that what that meant through experience. Right, right. So in this moment, I decided, I'm just going to let go. I said, Whatever. And the moment I decided to say whatever, everything just said, and I literally felt myself scanning from my head to my toes so easily, just present moments. I could hear everything that was going on around me. I could feel everything, but I was literally just focused and clear. This was the part of the story that you've told me that I thought was amazing. Yeah, and go... You wanna- I remember you told me that like once you got up from that session, like you was able to hear, like you said, you was able to hear everything, smell everything, like you felt like the vibrations in the, in the floor when you were walking, mm-hmm. and then this was the dopest part to me. I don't know why, but you was just like the food that you were eating was like not salted or anything. Mm-hmm. You was able to taste everything, everything. everything. Yes. I was just like, nah, that's fire. I'm like, I'm like, yo, everybody on this tour is on some different shit that I could never experience yet, you know? It was incredible. I will never forget that moment for the rest of my life. Like, uh, and I've had um, many surreal kind of out of, not I want to say out of body. It was like out of body, but in body. And I'll explain that after. But in that moment, just... I remember scanning, 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 and the last scan that I did was from the bottom of my feet all the way up to the top of my head, and I could feel, like I explained to you, the vibrations. I could feel, it was like I could feel my cells buzzing, moving, going about their day, like maybe somebody went and was doing yoga, one cell over here was, I could feel <laughs> all of that moving up through me, moving up through me, and then all of a sudden it got to my crown, sh- my third eye, and it just said, Phew. and I felt, as soon as it, there were no boundaries, like what we were talking about earlier, earlier, like I felt myself beyond the limitation of my form. Mm-hmm. And your experiences and what you were taught. All of it. 
there was no, I was everything and everything was me. There was no separation. I just felt completely at one with everything. And I remember the moment that I felt it, it was such a rush. And I had to remember, don't get attached. This too will pass, impermanence, anicca. It's a Pali word for impermanence. It's gonna pass. And I let it, I let that idea of attaching to it go. And I remember just, just sitting in it, experiencing what it felt like. And like when I got up, I could feel the fire, I could feel the, the fabric of my shirt on the back of my neck. Mm. I could feel the carpet underneath my feet as I walked. And then when I went to go sit down to eat, because they give you a um, completely vegan diet, I was chewing, and I remember chewing like 32 times, not because, you know, they say that you're <laughs> supposed to chew. for digestion. Yeah. <laughs> but because that's how many chews it took me to taste everything and 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 really chew my food properly, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just felt such a, I feel it right now, I'm coursing through my body, just a shift in my energetic field, you know? And that was the thing that was telling to me and interesting to me. You guys were like some free people. Mm. I don't come from that. We, I don't think we came from that either. We, like, and that was the part that was hard to understand. I'm just like, because I've heard you, like, I generally know everybody's story. Mm. It's just like, how do you guys come from this and get here? And how do I get there? You know, mm. it's just like, and I know that you guys don't have the answers, but that's like a mat to mat kind of uh, question. Even, even going back to like the, the events, yeah. when people just say, like, you seem unapproachable. Mm. It's just like, I'm not free, bro. Mm. I'm not free. Mm. And it's funny, too. Um, I, always tell, I always talk to like my mom about this. I'm just like, yo, if, if, if I were to like pass, if I were to die, I have all the songs that I want played at like my service. All the songs have to do with freedom. Mm. Donny Hathaway, Sunday Will All Be Free. Mm. Um, Denise Williams, um, Free. Like, I don't know what it is, but there's something about those songs that, that just, like, I don't know. So you're moving, to the, you're moving towards that space. Yeah. Just literally being free and really understanding what that means. Mm-hmm. You are who you are. There is no thought about it while you're doing it. There's no thought about it after you do it. Mm. That, this is just who you are, mm. you know? And now that I think about it that way, I think that's probably the reason why I started to move into this direction of podcast. Our art, our expression of, of our art in that little hour segment, 30 minute segment, three minutes, three minute segment is a fraction, a fraction of a fraction mm-hmm. of who you really are. A fraction of a fraction of a fraction of exactly. a Exactly. of a fraction. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and this gives you just another uh, realm to experience yourself through. Yeah, I don't have all the answers, you know? I'm None going, of us I, do. No, nobody does. I don't have all the answers. I'm not always right. I'm and aware we would, of that. What would, be, what would life be if we had all the answers? Who wants to live that? That would be trash. Exactly. <laughs> Think about it. Like, so you, I, What would I, be the point of us in this, in this time-space reality? I don't know. If we knew everything. So, yeah, it's just, just freedom from it all. Yeah. You know, and it's just like... One of the things I'm experiencing now... 
and really thinking about on a regular basis is just like the, the traumas that were inflicted on me. Mm-hmm. Me coming to terms with that, that had nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. Had nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Really not trying to take it personal. Yeah. Even, even when it does hurt, it stings, I'm haunted by it. Don't take it personal. And I'm fighting, fighting with that every single day. Mm-hmm. Coming to peace. Again, being free of that. Yeah. That, like, that kind of shit hold, was literally holding me prisoner. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I think that is... Um, that, is the, that is a very challenging task that we're all trying. Well, I don't know if everybody's actively trying. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's really hard to not take things personal because we experience our lives at such a personal level, right? Mm-hmm. And like I said, we move through the world in this very personal device. Like our bodies, literally the physicality that our spirits decided to take on is a personal physicality. <laughs> so that's why I was when we were talking earlier that I, when I said that I, I often... Um, experience living in this duality the truth that i am in this physical realm in this car right this body is my car moving through this space this vehicle but i am also not of this Mm -hmm. like this vehicle this expression is a small part of my true my essence the spirit right and if I only, if I only pigeonhole myself to this one particular experience, then I am fractioning off pieces of myself. You know what I mean? I'm not allowing myself to experience myself fully. Um, and I think to speak to what, you're, what you said earlier about, you know, to what degree can we reach freedom? I think recognizing that truth... Um, plays a big role in the degree of freedom you reach, right? If you live your life thinking that, you know, you are your neighborhood, you are your skin color, you are your, you know, um, gender, if you live your life in those boxes, then you limit yourself and in turn the possibilities for your life and the unfolding of your life. But if you can somehow live in that space but not be pigeonholed to that space right honor that space honor my blackness i honor that i'm a woman i love being a woman i love being black i love being from the hood mm-hmm. i love that uh you know my story is typically considered a story of you know somebody a challenging story <laughs> i love that but those things don't make me who I am. If somebody came and wiped all that shit, I'm still fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because there's nothing outside of me that's going to change who I am. And I think recognizing that allows you to open yourself up to all of that possibility. Because you're no longer saying, 
oh, I'm this, so I have to be this way, and I have to do this to be successful, and I have to be PC mm-hmm. <laughs> and adhere to what society wants from me, and now I'm this robot in this box, and I don't even know who I am, and at 50, I'm having a midlife crisis. You know what I mean? Um, so it's, it's funny, because um, we, we were having this conversation a little earlier, too. Speaking to people that are from the same hood that I've grown up in, growing up in the Bronx. Yeah. The first initial conversation is normally a telltale sign of where people are when it comes to knowing themselves. Mm. They're like, oh, bro, where you from? Like, you know, you was killing the violin. I'm like, oh, I'm from the Bronx. Oh, I'm from the Bronx, too. You know what I'm saying? But it's just like, I would have never expected somebody like you to be from the Bronx. So in my head, automatically, I'm just like, so wait, you think that just because I'm from the same place that you're from, that I'm supposed to act, think, speak, eat the same exact way that you do it? Mm-hmm. It's just like, why is it that our, our, our identity is so tied into similar experiences? Yeah. I mean, that's how we relate. Strange. That's how we re- re- relate. It is. It is. To, to really think like, like, yo, I never expected somebody, a byproduct of this same area, to come out something like you. That's yeah. foreign to me. And that also speaks to the degree of internalized oppression that we've um, kind of subscribed to when we speak particularly of being black and being from the hood, right? Like, oftentimes, that's a compliment when people are saying to you, oh, what? You're from the hood? But you speak so well. But you take risks. You know, if I want, I could take that personally. Like, what you mean? But it also speaks to if someone from my hood is saying that to me, what do they, what is that saying about what you think of yourself and the, mm-hmm. what's possible for yourself? And I think that's the power of not taking things personally because you get to see now it's bigger than me. We have a bigger fish to fry. It's not about what you think about me getting out. It's about why we think that we can't be X, Y, Z being from here. That's internalized oppression that we've subscribed to without proper... Really, like, without really understanding it. Yeah, without proper examination, without even knowing that we are. You see how, like, you know how we grew up? If you, I remember... Um, like when like my family is from Philly originally, so they have thick accents out there, you know. <laughs> and I was waiting for you to imitate one. <laughs> uh, it's, it, it comes out when I'm around my family. Got you. Um, but their accent is very thick. Sometimes when I go back home, I'm like, "What you say to my?" Because I'm like, "Say it again." <laughs> Text that to me. I I, I, I can't catch on <laughs> <Exactly>. to that. Exactly. <laughs> um, and I remember like, because I was born in Philly, but we moved to Boston when I was a baby still. So essentially, I was raised in Boston. Um, but my brothers were born in Philly, and they would spend way more time there. Um, so their accents were still very thick. And I remember, you know, I would talk to family or friends and be in Philly, and they'd be like, oh, you sound like a white girl. Like, you know, we're doing it to ourselves. That all of a sudden, I'm not like, I'm not black enough. But black enough means this. And... I mean, that's a whole nother conversation that we can get into maybe in part two. But I'm just saying, speaking to this idea of internalized oppression that we're not always aware of, um, I think it's more important for me to ask, what is the bigger picture here? Instead of 
taking things so personal, which keeps me in my own little box, right? And my own little point of influence. Um, when I'm opening, and opening up my mind to a wider space, then I can see a bigger picture from a bird's eye view. And then what's possible for me to affect lasting change becomes um, kind of a wider, the options are, are more vast. Right. If that makes sense. It does. <laughs> I got it. I got you. Um, but it's, it's tough, man. It's tough to like, for me, I'm going to speak for myself. I can't speak for everybody else. It was tough for me to really navigate through that. That, 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 that was truly an identity crisis for me. You know, mm. being from a place where you're expected to behave a certain way mm. and do certain things. Mm-hmm. And that is the exact opposite of who you are. Mm. And even for those who do behave and think and, you know, maneuver that way, I don't think there, there is no greater. You know and I'm saying? I don't think that I'm better than you because I am who I am. Yeah. And vice versa. I just look at you as a, just another person. You're just another person to me, man. Like, what's up? Because yeah. I almost feel like it's irresponsible of me to put you in those bounds, in, mm. in, the, in those same boxes, you know? So you're saying that you're more able to see possibilities in others, no matter where they're from. I do my best to. Yeah. Do I fall short? Absolutely. I mean, we're human. I'm human. It's funny, it's funny that you said that. I remember I said, it to, said this to one of my, um, my homeboys, Eric. He, he was self-deprecating. He was just like, oh, I'm so stupid. I'm so dumb. I made this mistake. How can I make this mistake? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, Eric, your mistakes do not make you dumb. Your mistakes make you original. Remember that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Remember that. That's a Matt Bowman's blogging. Although some mistakes are not original, <laughs> it could be argued that the same mistake is being made over and over and over again. What is that mistake? <laughs> the delusion that we are separate. That is the mistake that is being made over and over and over and over again. What you, where you got that from? You just made that up? Yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> what you did inside in, in like that little voice, I was like, she made that up and so That's a quote from a movie because I didn't watch the movies lately. You know what I'm saying? No, I, I, sometimes because it's like, when we, we were talking about that earlier, it's like, this is all really a game. We don't really know anything. You and I can sit here and talk. This is our perspective. Yeah, it can be entertaining. Yes, it might have the... Um, ability to inform someone else's life and inspire people. And this is why we do it, because we get to experience ourselves. Me and you talking together here, we're getting to experience ourselves through this communication, through us, this relationship, which is great. But we can't remember, like Alan Watts says, to dance. It's a performance. Mm -hmm. It is a show. It is not a show. I'm sorry. It's meant to be enjoyed. We're meant to frolic through this shit. Like, it's a difference, there's a different energy when you say, I know, I don't know anything, but here's my experience, versus saying, oh no, this is the right way. This is how you're supposed to live your life. So that's why I put that little voice on it, because what do I know? That's just my experience. <laughs> it's just what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I didn't think we were, I, for some reason I thought we were going to be talking about love and relationships. <laughs> I mean. But this is very necessary too. I appreciate it. I, th- I think this is the reason why you and I have connected so well in that short, short amount of time being on tour though. 
Mm. It was conversations such as these, yeah. you know? And it's not just the conversation. I think it was really the respect that we afforded each other, yeah. you know? Even if there was something that I firmly disagreed on, I didn't shoot you down. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. How could you think? In my head, I'm just like, okay, I didn't think about it that way. That's not my experience. It's not my yeah. truth. Moving on. Yeah. You know? And that, that was the part that was so dope about that mm-hmm. whole thing. But, you know, let's talk about some love and some relationships. Right? I love that. No, but I think that's so important, too, in, in when we're talking about relationships and love. Being able to, having your priority be understanding versus converting. You know what I mean? Right. Oftentimes when you talk to people, you can feel that it's like a couple things. One, they're just talking to talk. <laughs> They're just talking. They don't even, they're not having a conversation. They're reciting a little soliloquy. They just want to let you know everything that they've amassed that they know. You know what I mean? And I've been, I'm not excluded. I've been that person before. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'm not excluding myself from that, trying to, you know, we're all susceptible to this. Or you're in a conversation with someone who just wants to uh, make you believe what they believe. Yeah, I don't to do, convert I don't, you to their perspective. I don't do well with people like that. Yeah. And then you can... I mean, there's a wide spectrum of things, right? There's mm-hmm. not just these three. Um, there's lots of gray area. And then you have people where you said there's a certain level of respect. And you just really... You're curious. I just want to know, wow. Well, what makes you think that? Or, mm-hmm. And I think, in my own experience, the more curious that I am the better my life is. When I profess to know everything, I'm cutting myself off from learning anything. You know what I mean? That's just my experience. The more curious I am, the better my life is, the deeper my connections are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Relationships. Relationships. Dumb, dumb. What dumb. about relationships? Oh. <laughs> um, I think within the last decade, or so, with dealing with women. I think this is probably one of the most important lessons that I've learned. First and foremost, you can't control nobody. Mm-hmm. You cannot control nobody. It's hard enough controlling ourselves. Damn right. <laughs> Let me tell you something. My dick could be out in this street. Oh, my God. Nah, I'm, <laughs> I'm fucking around. No, nah, but it's you just You dirty like- demon. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, but it's just like... um. I felt like I was in certain situations where I was definitely in it to control. Mm. And those was probably, like, honestly, those are probably some of the shittiest, unhappy situations that I've been in. Yeah. You know? And with this whole Jada and Will thing, the part that was the most disturbing to me. What Jada and Will thing? The entanglement. Oh. (laughs) Alcina. Oh, Lord. (laughs) The part that was so, uh, it's almost like traumatizing to me almost. It's the fact that people were speaking on their relationship as if they, like, this is the way the relationship is supposed to be. Mm. And I'm like, yo, that is the biggest crock of shit that anybody can spew. Yeah. I don't care how well you may or may not know me. My relationship is solely dictated on what I want and what that other person or people involved want. It has nothing to do with the way that we handle situations and relationships in the Western world. Mm has nothing to do with that relationships are not ice cream and sprinkles it's not all fun and games Mm 
Mm. Relationships are work. And not only that, it's not only one flavor of relationship. I think that's exactly. a huge issue in our culture and our society as well. That a relationship is supposed to be a particular way. Um. And again, it goes back. It goes back to conversations that we were having first. Like before, there could be a relationship. You have to be true to yourself. Mm. What do you want? Mm-hmm. What do you want? I want to date four or five people while I'm dating you. Can you handle that? Maybe not now, but maybe in the next few months. Or you know, maybe let's give it a shot. Let me see how I feel. Mm-hmm. Can I date other people too? Well, to be honest, I'm not really that comfortable with you doing it. Okay, fine. Maybe I'm cool with that. Maybe I'm not. Yeah. Is it true to you first? Yeah. Does it make you happy? I think you're talking about something really important here, and it's the authentic communication. And communication is obviously the bedrock of relationships. And the primary relationship is our relationship with ourselves. Now, how often, I wonder how often people talk to themselves. Um, based on the way our world is, it doesn't seem like it's very often. You know what I mean? I mean, I didn't start journaling until I was, I didn't start journaling consistently until I was like 24. Mm. That's 24 years of primary brain structuring, primary habit structuring, primary emotional intelligence built that now I'm deconstructing on my own. Mm-hmm. Some people go their whole lives never asking themselves a single question. You know what I mean? Um, so when I speak of that idea of communication, it's not only me speaking to an, ent- an entity outside of myself. It's me speaking to myself. Um, and I think that is the pillar that authentic connection stands on. Like deep self-inquiry. And you know what's interesting that you brought up... Um other people never having those conversations with them with themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I've taken in like you know the relationships that I've been in for the last ten years, and these these aren't just romantic relationships. These are like you know friendships. This is like family relationships. Sometimes the best thing you can do for yourself is get out of other people's way. Mm. That's that. Absolutely. Get out of their way and get out of your way (laughs) yeah they cannot be controlled they can't be controlled the only thing that you can do is try to communicate the best way that you possibly can and still remain true and authentic to yourself yeah that's it i agree you know what i'm saying it's not it's not easy it's not easy Nah, relationships are not easy at all oh my god they are but I'm so grateful for relationships. <laughs> the heart, like, I feel like my hardest relationships were my greatest spiritual teachers. Mm. You know? Like, they, yeah, they reveal a lot for me, too. Yeah. Like, our relationships are a direct reflection of where we are. It's just like we didn't, the state of our world didn't make manifest on its own. The relationship that we find, the relationships that we find ourselves in, romantic, platonic, familiar, all of them, are direct reflections of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because we are magnets, whether we are aware of being a magnet or not. Um, so our relationship offers itself to us 
to, to ourselves so that we can see where we need to grow. It shows us the boundaries that we need to expand past. You know, um, I had this incredible, I don't know how much time we have left, but I had this incredible. Keep talking, <laughs> Camera's going to overheat in a second, but you know, <laughs> we still got the audio, so that's all that really matters. Um, I had this incredible experience. Um, as you know, I, I did a backpacking trip in Southeast Asia, a solo backpacking trip for four and a half months, and mm. it was completely life-changing. One of the main ways that it was, was that it truly shattered my idea of relationships and forced me to create a new way of relating. Um, and it deepened my relationships. Um, so I, I met, while I was out there, uh, I was in Chiang Mai, which is in Northern Thailand at the time. And I met a guy um, who was a nudist. You would. <laughs> no, you would. Oh, my God. Go ahead. Continue. <laughs> I thought I told you the story. You but... never told me no story like this. Okay, okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I didn't meet a lot of black people traveling, let alone black women traveling alone. So I remember it was... It was, I had scheduled it to be my last day at this particular hostel. Because the way that I travel, I was staying in hostels and stuff the whole time. Um, so I was staying at this hostel. It was going to be my last night. I had packed up everything. I gave up my room. So I'm sitting on the bench, wanting to leave. Um, and then I see three black people walk into the hostel. And I was like, what? It's like black people, like gold traveling. You don't <laughs> see black people. And they weren't like, usually... Black people that I that I, the black people that I did run across while traveling were like from London or like, yeah. um, and they were in groups of they were traveling with groups of white people, um, and you know I would do the universal head nod that you do when you see oh, another good. black it's person good. and it wasn't being reciprocated. I'm like, what the hell is going on out here? <laughs> so I'm sitting out here and these three people, the three black people walk in and I was like. And they did it back, so I was already amped. I'm like, okay, I'm it's not lit. going nowhere. I'm it's not. Lit. I'm gonna stay for another week. <laughs> How long y'all staying in the matter of fact? That's what I said. So I approached them. I was like, hey, you guys, where y'all from? Um, two of them. One was, I can't remember where the girl was from, but one guy was from D.C. And then another guy was actually from Africa, but he lived in, uh, he was living in Philly. Oh, two of them were from Philly, mm. and then the other guy was from was living in D.C. at the time. Or Atlanta, I'm sorry. Um, so anyways, we hit it off, and they were. it turned out that they were actually going to a, uh, a dinner for black people who lived abroad in Chiang Mai. And they were like, we're going to a dinner tonight. You should come. So we went to dinner, had a ball, whatever. So this guy that I met, he's a nudist. He was talking to, he's so smart. Um, we had a great conversation. And then um, it was time, it was late, and I'm like, oh shit, but I didn't get an, uh, my room. So I had my, my backpack in like this place that you could sit it um, that's locked. So I didn't have a room that night. And when we got back to the hospital, the hostel, it was full. And he didn't get a room that night either. So we didn't have nowhere to stay. So The nudist? The nudist, okay. yeah. So my girl, um, at the time, she was like, oh, well, you guys... I got a room. I could stay with my girl. 
because her and her friend had rooms, but they had their own rooms in a specific hostel. Um, she was like, you know, you guys can sleep in my room and I'll just go stay with my friend. I was like, okay, fine. And I, there's a certain degree of freedom that you, you have when you're traveling. Like, you just got to be ready and down for anything. So it was not out of the ordinary for me to share a room with a stranger. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and we just had a great day together. I trusted him. I felt like, you know. So we go to the room and, you know, everybody's chopping it up, having a good time. It's time for bed. So we, <laughs> we're in the room, him and I, essentially a stranger, and uh, we're like, okay, it's time for showers, go to bed. So he takes a shower, and I'm journaling, because that's my practice to, at that time, it was to journal every night before I went to bed. Um, now I do it, first thing I do when I wake up. Um, so I'm journaling, and I hear the, the bathroom door opening. The whole day, he wasn't nude when I met him. He was just telling me that was his lifestyle. So I, the idea that he was a nudist left my head. And <laughs> I remember, I can't believe I'm telling the story. If you ever watched this, thank you for this amazing experience you gave me. <laughs> um, so I hear the door open and I look back thinking this dude's going to come out like with his clothes on. And I look back and he was butt ass naked. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. right. He's a nudist immediately my brain starts like oh my god is he coming on to me is this does this mean that we're moving it like all these thoughts started habitually coming out and i thank god for this moment because i got to witness what my brain does when nudity is involved mm -hmm. and um and he wasn't trying to hit on me or nothing this is him in his state he just came out had regular conversation and I felt myself, my body just naturally, not naturally, I'm not, instinctively got clammed up. Tense. And tense. I was nervous. I'm like, okay, where is this going? Um, this, is what's, this is all happening to me at the physical level. But in my mind, I'm saying, pay attention. You don't, what else could be the story here? You know, so I'm sifting through my thoughts, trying to choose a new way to be in this space um and he's was so helpful because he was just we had a whole conversation he does yoga before he, go, before he goes to bed so he was doing yoga poses dick swinging I was about to you say know what ass. i mean like butt ass naked just completely free and i said to myself this is the level of freedom that i want in regards to my body this is, I want to create a space for people to experience their bodies, to experience being naked without attaching nudity to sexuality. Quick question. Do you watch P-Valley? No. Oh, man. I should, though, because a really good friend of mine, Nico Anand, is on there. And I, I, I don't watch TV. Nico Anand, what does she do? He's a man. He's, I, I think he's one of the main roles in there. He's like... I haven't seen it, so I can't say, but he has a, a pretty big part. Is he Uncle Clifford? I, I don't know. I gotta look it Maybe. up. I can't, I can't, I can't, yo. It probably is him. He's tall, dark, handsome, just very expressive. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's the role because he's incredible. So he, he that entire cast is, is amazing. Um, but speaking on, yes, 
he plays Uncle Clifford. Yes. Oh, I love it. Yo, he needs to be on the pod, too. So that'd be dope if he could get on here. Oh. That'd be so dope. Oh, you, he, he is one of the first people that shifted my awareness of standing in your power fully. Because I, was, I did a, um, actually how Alan and I met. Mm. We did um, a professional dance program called Motivating Excellence with Rhapsody James. And Nico was our theater instructor. Mm -hmm. And that man, when he steps into the space, you know he steps into the space. He is fully present in all of his power. He is unapologetically himself fully. Mm -hmm. And to be in the presence of someone, you are automatic that automatically spills over into your being. How we said energy doesn't lie. That's why they say you are the you are uh, a summation of the five people you spend your most time with you know what i mean because that energy gets up in you and he changed my life at a visceral level because he just through by virtue of being himself fully allowed me to feel what that energy felt like energetically um and I, that was the first time that i've ever experienced that so i love him you need to watch p valley there's one I scene will. <laughs> there's one scene in there specifically there's a character named little murder Lil Murder is a rapper. Mm -hmm. So within this particular scene, he's gearing up to perform at the strip club. Mm. Um, he teamed up with one of the dancers there. I think her name was Miss Mississippi. Mm. Whatever. So she saw that there was like a, a void in his performance. Mm. She brought him into the back room, mm -hmm. got him butt ass naked, mm -hmm. and was just like, when you're out on the stage, like there's nothing else essentially. It's just you. Yeah. It's just you. Mm. so and this scene was actually like it, it got me like super emotional like mm. super emotional talking about freedom again it's just like that is the most difficult part yeah. for me when it comes to performing and there was a scene in there where she really felt the performance like he finally got it after he got over being naked mm. he ain't got nothing to hide now mm -hmm. show me what you got mm. and she felt it Mm. And that that stirred up a lot for me. That made me emotional. I'm just like, yo, people don't understand. Like, that is the toughest thing to let go of. You know what I'm saying? Like, your inhibitions, yeah, your fears. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, just letting it all go. It's it's tough. It's not easy. Yeah, it's not because it's a habit, and we all know how hard habits are to break. And it's it's to the point now. It's just like people don't notice. I don't look back at live performances. I don't watch them. Why not? I don't want to judge myself. Mm, I see. I don't want to put myself in that space for me to be like, Dad, you could have done this better. Mm -hmm. Because then I start to feed that, that part of me that desires that control. Mm -hmm. Freedom. Mm -hmm. I want to be free. I love that. Because oh. you, you figured out what works for you. I'm still figure, figuring it out, you know? And I remember yeah. we spoke about this too. Like when I, when I brought up initially how amazed I was, how free you guys seemed, mm -hmm. you told me, it's like, this is a daily battle. This, you're always going to find something wrong. There's always going to be something wrong. There's always going to be a challenge. A Not challenge. necessarily wrong. Because I deeply you. believe that everything is working ultimately in our highest and greatest favor. Everything. Even the things that are seemingly disastrous. Um, I truly believe that 
the course that is being taken is needed for me to learn whatever lesson or not even learn a lesson like there's got to be some lesson at everything but for me to experience this um in a particular way um but yes yeah, it's, it's always going to be a challenge just because i think that's again this is just what i think who knows what's really <laughs> I think that is part of the joy of being in this vehicle is to experience and play with these challenges. Oh, how am I going to, we get to meet ourselves. We get to experience ourselves as gods in this space. You know what I mean? Um, But did you want to say something else before? No, it was just interesting that we spoke about nudity and, you know, you meeting a nudist. Yeah. And. It's almost it's almost as if you had to break the barrier with yourself of what being nude really meant, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and and that instance per se, you know, mm-hmm. what did that mean to you? Yep, but I've never had to look at that before. Mm-hmm. I've never taken the opportunity, and think about it. When do we, especially as black people, especially as a black woman? get an opportunity to desexualize our bodies. That's almost an insane concept to even think about. Our bodies are essentially a sexual item according to society. Mm-hmm. That's what our society pumps as the truth of our being, you know? Um, that being naked is somehow bad. When I feel like being naked is, we're in our purest form. We decided that we're going to be putting on these clothes. That was a construct that we decided to agree upon. Not even us, but some old ancestors at some point decided (laughs) that they were going to subscribe to this particular concept to make a living more conducive to how they wanted to live at one particular time. And we unconsciously subscribe to that ideology as our truth without proper examination Mm -hmm. and that's why i'm just so grateful that i had that moment to explore do i want this thought do i want to subscribe to this as my truth and the answer for me was a resounding hell no like i love being naked so and i thank him hence the skinny dipping Skinny dipping. I take <laughs> naked yoga. I'm naked around my house all the time. I would get naked here if I didn't feel like it would make someone uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm really in my life now exploring. I haven't figured it out, obviously, but I'm still exploring. Um, and I think this is going to be my life mission. How to be, how to effectively incorporate my newfound um, beliefs around nudity into my life in this time-space reality, which is tough, right? Because there's, it brings up all these things. Like I was on the nudist speech the other day with a girlfriend of mine, and I remember um, her saying that, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's a nude beach, but most women keep their pants on. And I was thinking that, I've never been on a nude beach. It's always been one of my dreams to live in a nudist community before I leave this time-space reality. You would. <laughs> you <laughs> so, definitely would. <laughs> so we went there for the sunrise, and so we were there really early, so we took a nap. And when I woke up, oh, so I was 
sticks. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> initially I could feel what my habit goes to. Clamming up, getting uncomfortable. And then I said, I got to, and it's such a gift when you can witness your thoughts and choose a thought that better aligns with who you truly are. And, so, and like we said, respond instead of react. And so I got to watch my thoughts, all these crazy thoughts, and I got to pull the ones that worked for me. Like, yes, be naked, old man. Run to the ocean in your full glory. Hell yes, I'm naked too. <laughs> I don't have to think about, and, and then there's this idea of like, okay, some people go to the naked beach just to be perverts. That ain't got shit to do with me. As long as you don't touch me, what you, how you view me and what you think of me is none of my business. And your intentions as well. I got nothing to do with you. None of my business. I live, as long as you, if you move into my space, energetic space, then that's another thing we have to assess from that. That might be a different story. You know what I mean? But... If you're here to check out nice ass, check out this nice ass. It has nothing to do with me. You know what I mean? But what I have felt, I don't obviously feel free being completely naked walking down 145th Street in Harlem. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, so how can I bring a degree of freedom around this thought into that space? And that's what I'm exploring. And I guess your freedom comes down to like, what is the intent? You know? If your freedom lies in you being naked walking down 145th Street, is that your true path to freedom? What mm-hmm. that whatever how, however you define that for yourself? Yeah, for sure. Or is there another place for you to discover your freedom on 145th besides being nude? Yeah, you know for what I'm sure. Saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely um I mean it's an ongoing investigation, right? It definitely is. I and don't... there is no conclusive answer at yeah. all. Well, I will say that I don't have a desire to walk down 144th Street naked. It's just not a desire. But, but see, then it would be something that I would have to really think seriously about if I felt constricted. If going outside with clothes on felt like, oh my God, I just want to be naked. Then it would be really something that I have to consider. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is not this space is not conducive to me because it doesn't allow me to be as free as I'd like to be here. You know what I mean? And I think that goes along with the emotional intelligence that you were speaking of also. Like, sometimes we find ourselves in an environment or a relationship or a predicament that is not conducive to to who we are or who we want to be. And instead of, like you said, removing ourselves from that relationship a predicament or environment Mm -hmm. we are set on changing it we have to make this okay for me to be in here you know what i mean instead of maybe (laughs) if you just remove yourself and find an environment of like-minded individuals an environment that's conducive to the way of life that you want to live you'll find your peace and you'll leave them peaceful like you said sometimes the best thing is to get out of people's way you know? Don't try to change them. You're only going to like tie yourself out. Yeah. And that brings me to another thing, too. We don't have to go into this conversation, but this is a thought that I've been having throughout this whole like um, wave of recognition of social injustice is the idea of 
if we are trying to fix a system that is we're trying to live we're trying to learn how to navigate in a system that is broken you know what i mean um can is that that's for me it's kind of like putting a band-aid over a deep wound you know what i mean it'll stop the blood for so long but at some point that blood's gonna pour Seep out and it's right gonna make, manifest into another thing you know so it's kind of like that duality of being being a black person and all of this too like and even that is cause for debate anyways but um this idea of this kind of dichotomy of feeling hopeful wanting to make change you know what i mean like doing all we can to make change but if we're doing all we can to make a change in this structure without dismantling the structure are we really making a change i think you know i'm not saying that the fight is not a valid fight oh not at all not i think all, i think the real remedy and the real like work should be more so focused on this after we've gotten you know we, we resolved the issues at hand like bringing justice to the people who have unjustly killed our own what are we doing for ourselves what what is it specifically mm-hmm. and i'm saying like for me and again i'm I, I do genuinely feel like i'm at a point of privilege for this yeah again feast and famine i have no guarantees you know of anything mm-hmm. i don't know where my money's coming in i don't i don't know if this season's going to be a great season something like now covid hit everything stopped yeah you know so it's just like Being that the majority of my career, I had to pretty much figure things out for myself in order to make change, mm-hmm. and this situation is no different. Mm-hmm. What are we doing for ourselves to not only rectify the situation at hand, but to also make sure that we are investing and in putting the proper value on black lives that we should, we should always have? Yeah. And how are we going to prevent this from happening? Yeah. I definitely see it, too, like on a... Uh a bird's eye view kind of perspective as well. Like, um, uh, it's, I read this article for a class and uh, it was a kind of like an overview of this work that a choreographer, his name is Alonzo King. Um, he is the choreographer director of Lines Contemporary Ballet. Um, and he said, he created a work in nature. Um, his company members, they were all in different social distance. So it was essentially like duets between a solo dancer in whatever environment that they were in. Um, and the interviewer asked him a question about like what he thinks about all that's going on uh, or how he was affected um, by you know the, the murder of George Floyd. And he said something that I feel was very simple and yet profound. He said, I'm going to paraphrase here, but he basically said, I'm, he, he's honoring this space of quiet, of solitude, because it allows him to ask the question, what in 
where in me do I see kind of like a correlation to the sickness or the bad things that is ha that are happening into the world in the world like what part of me is similar to that and if I don't ask myself first that question and change those things, then I can't go out pointing the finger. Does that make sense? Like, I have to ask myself, how am I contributing to this? It goes back into what we were talking about. In order to affect change on anybody else, you have to be able to implement that same change on yourself first. Yeah. Whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I love that. But I feel like that's a topic of conversation often, right? Like, it's wrapped up in the bowl. Like, you can't love somebody else unless you love yourself first. And we have all of these kind of like blanket statements, but no one is really talking about how. How do we change ourselves? What does it actually take? Well, that, okay. And this, this, this comes down to breaking down what it actually means to change yourself. First and foremost, as an individual, my answer on how I need to change myself is not your answer. No, absolutely. I'm just talking about the basic, basic degree of change. Mm -hmm. Not what needs to change, but how do we change? How do we break habits and form new habits? Which is essentially what change is. Change is, when we talk about it scientifically, right? Like, we make habits because we have made a loop a feedback loop from our, um, our, our sensory input to our brain. Mm -hmm. And that loop happens again and again and again, and it cements a habit. After so long, those associations, you know, they say um, neurons that fire together, wire together. So you've created this bond that is so cemented, it becomes this, ha it bec the habit becomes a, temperament and then that temperament because it's so fired together and wired together it becomes a personality and then that personality becomes your your, your way of being or who you just think you are in this world right you know i'm sensitive or i'm intellectual or you know i'm spicy or i'm down to earth or i'm spiritual whatever the hell that means every pook's not spiritual yeah <laughs> but anyway i know anyways, a few of them who ain't spiritual but i <laughs> I can, I can go down a list. You, you can't be unspiritual in this space. Now, whether or not you are actively participating in your path of spirituality in this time space reality is a different conversation. You know what I mean? Um, but anyways, that, that feedback loop is happening and you've created these habits. Now, to break these habits, you have to essentially break down the sections of the components of the habit. Well, first and foremost, to make a change in anything, you have to identify what the issue is. Absolutely. Coming from a point of privilege. We are artists. That is our job. There's an issue. What is our issue? I don't know this song. How do you learn the song? Well, let me listen to the song. Wow, there's four difficult sections. Let me take the first part of this one difficult section and break it down and isolate these issues. Yeah, but there's a nuance to that skill, right? Yeah. Which comes before identif it, the nuance is identif being able to identify the issue. There's that saying, you don't know what you don't know what you do. You don't know what you don't know. When you don't know what you don't know, which is the issue, <laughs> one of the huge issues of our society, 
you're, you can't be aware. Then how do we get to know what we don't know? We have to be curious. We have to be in a state of deep inquiry. That has to be our priority. Or else we're going to, there's a story about, we're going to keep going on living. There's a story about, I love this story. I don't know where it comes from, but it's like this ancient like little story. So there's a woman, they're cooking Thanksgiving dinner. And she's like, oh, to her, her daughter, oh, I'm going to teach you how to cook the ham this, this Thanksgiving dinner, baby. So she's teaching her daughter how to cook the ham. And as she's cooking the ham, she cuts off the bottom, the top, the sides, puts it in the pan, puts it in the oven, cooks it. The little girl goes, Mom, why do you cut off the sides and the, si the top and the bottom and the sides of the ham when you put it in? She's like, oh, baby, that's how your grandmother used to do it. So then she gets a little curious. She's like, hmm. She goes to her mom. Yo, mom, why you cut off the sides and the, and the tops and the bottom of the ham when you put it in? She goes, oh, that's how your grandmother used to do it. So then the mom, she's like, oh, she goes to her great, her grandmother. She's like, grandma, why do you cut off the sides and the bottoms of the ham? She's like, oh, baby, back in my day, we didn't have pans big enough to fit the ham. Damn. So they're wasting, I mean, we're talking about ham. I hate ham, but just, it's the prince, it's the analogy of it, right? <laughs> so you are exhibiting a behavior because it's passed down to you. We have not inquired about this behavior. We have not asked is this mine? Does this fit who I want to be in this world? Does this make sense to me? Is this beneficial to myself and my society? You know what I mean? And that's why that moment with the guy that I met, um, I don't want to say his name, but I love you and I'm so grateful for you, that I met when he was naked because it gave me an opportunity to examine this thought that I had not examined. It gave me the space to say, oh my God, I was so uncomfortable. We laid in bed together, this naked guy. I had these thoughts like, oh, if he, it, so many things I got to examine. My, what I think about sexuality, what I think about um, liking someone, what I think about what's expected of me when it's clear that we like. Or if someone likes me, but I don't like them, how do I act? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I've been in situations where I just kissed someone because maybe I just didn't want to cause a problem. How whack is that? You know what I mean? Like just going along, flying along life without really thinking about what you're doing and why you're doing it and what kind of effect it's having on you and your surroundings. Um, so that's why I think it's so important to have deep inquiry. That is the only way that you're going to even set up a foundation for change. If you're not adept in deep inquiry, you can't change. It's true. That's what people go get nicotine patches and they put in the patch on their arm and they think... Oh, yeah, the patch. Hell, you take that patch off. Maybe you're good for two months. You back on it. I, I, obviously, there are always exceptions to rules, right? Not Some people really do do the patch. And it breaks their cigarette habit. But I bet you in those situations, they're also doing inquiry within themselves. Because there's no way to break a habit without breaking the thought pattern behind that habit. Habit. Nothing outside of you can change it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's an interesting conversation. Yeah, it's it's this is like a inconclusive conversation, and this is a deep inquiry yeah. conversation. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> we always have these kinds of conversations. Always, always. But it's, it's, 
it's one of the, it's one of those things I can't be friends or around people who lack that ability mm. because again their shortcomings their lack thereof of that skill tax is I have to pay for that you know mm. like there's situations where like you know my feelings will be hurt or something like that or you know I can be brought into a space where I really don't want to be brought into a mm. violent space, an, an angry space, yeah. a space now I'm even thinking about saying things that I can't come back from. Yeah. All because this person, and it's okay if, he, if that person is not where you are. It's okay. Mm-hmm. But it's just the fact that now your lack thereof of this skill is bringing me to your level. <laughs> I'm good. I, have, I, got, I ain't got no time for that. I don't want to be around you. Yeah. Like, even if I am around that person, it's going to be limited. Yeah. There'll be certain things I talk about. There'll be situations where I'm just like, yeah, I'm not going to be in this area for more than X amount of time. Yeah. I'm not going to be around this person at all. I think that's such an important, dis- like, discernment is very um, necessary in creating the life that you want, curating the life that you want to live. Uh, I love uh, Ayanla Benzant. Um, she says, uh, um, she's, I don't get, you don't get to tell people how to love. You get to, uh, experience how they love and decide if you want any parts of it. And I love that saying, cause I feel like you can interchange that with anything. Like how you said, I'm not, I'm not ever going to tell anyone how to think, what to feel, how to interpret. We don't get to do that. We get to experience how people live how people love how people um understand and decide if 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 we want to engage mm-hmm. and i think that degree of responsibility can be daunting sometimes right because it's like do i really create every aspect everything that's in my life am i really responsible for it it's like am i really responsible it can get really tough to subscribe to that as a truth, especially being a black person in America. Like, so you're saying that I'm responsible for racism? No, but we are responsible for how we respond to racism. Hmm. We, we are responsible for how we were. That's the only thing that we can control. Let me ask you a question. We're going to divert into something else. And I want to wrap up soon because we, I think we're pushing like three hours now. Get out. Yeah, legit like three hours. Oh my God. You're supposed to be home by now, right? Oh, just about. Yes. <laughs> what wow. is the difference? What's the difference to you between accountability and responsibility? Accountability and responsibility. Good question. Uh, Let's see. I feel like accountability is doing what you said you were going to do when you said you were going to do it. Accountability has to do with integrity. Um, for me, responsibility 
has to do with choice, power of choice. So when I speak of responsibility, I speak of it in the sense that I am the sole um, decision maker and how I'm going to interpret any outside stimuli. Okay. I don't really have an answer for that question that I just asked you. Mm-hmm. But do you, under- you understood those I, distinctions? I don't know. <laughs> I'm dead serious. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I'll have to just listen back and just like cipher through it yeah you know but i had this um this will be the last thing we talk about before we like wrap this up yeah i had this conversation um in my barbershop and um i really don't argue in barbershops a lot because it's very difficult to be the opposing thought Mm. in a barbershop Mm -hmm. barbershop is great it's fun but it's it's a it's a fish tank full of groupthink you know yeah i can see that so, I remember, like, we was just having a conversation about infidelity, mm-hmm. you know? They were just saying that, like, oh, you know, my girl caught me cheating, blah, blah, blah. So, um, like, it was my fault that my girl, like, stepped out on me. I'm like, what? Then everybody in the barbershop was like, yeah, word, 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 word. Like, what she did was reaction. I said, no. No. You, sir, are accountable for your own actions the same way that woman is accountable for her actions too. You know? What you did is on you. You decided to do it. You're accountable. Even with her finding out that information that you were unfaithful to her and whatever agreement that you guys had within that relationship, she is also accountable too for what she does and does not do. Mm -hmm. You're not about to justify your actions with trying to make it a reaction and it's just like it's so silly they, they like everybody was saying that i was wrong but when i really broke it down i was just like this i said wasn't it was it a reaction when she when she met somebody else was it a reaction when she started texting somebody else was it a reaction when they were on the phone was it a reaction when they started going out was it a reaction when they started fucking is that all reactionary that's all reaction so she has no control over what she is doing or is not doing mm-hmm. with this other dude mm-hmm. silence yeah. They're like, nah, 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 fuck out of here. If I cheat, my bitch is going to cheat on me. That's just how it goes. I said, no, it does not. Mm-hmm. You're not listening to what I'm saying. I'm not saying that she should not do it. I'm saying that whatever she decides to do or not do, she is accountable for. Mm-hmm. It's not a reaction. You know what's reactionary? If you slap somebody in the forehead and they start blinking, they can't. those blinks are involuntary. You can't control that. Mm-hmm. That's debatable, but I see where you're saying Okay. I see what you're saying. Just because you meditate for 48 days, <laughs> don't mean people could just turn off their blinking. Come on, fam. You know what I'm saying? Like, actually, <laughs> I'm, I'm not just saying that just because that there's actually studies done that we... There's a man. His name is Wim Hof, and I'm pretty sure he's not the only man. He's the only man that I know of um, that has done scientific studies. He created a breathing method um, that allows him to control 
his automatic nervous system, which is like what we are not supposed to be able to control that. Right. Um, and he's created a system that allows him to, and he's taught this system to others, and they've been studied, and 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 that's debatable too. But it was in a scientific, actual scientific study. What is involuntary to you? And then we're gonna jump back into the conversation. What is something that is a reaction that you cannot control? You can't turn it off, even if you wanted to. Once it happens, it happens. You being- I mean, obviously, in this time, in this... That's why I said I know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. Right. Um, as human beings living in an primarily unconsciously, right? This is what, what we do. Most of the things that we... Most of our lives are reactionary. Most of our lives are involuntary because we are running on habits. Most of our lives are based... Living... Our basis, uh, our basis is from an unconscious level of being in this world. So most of what we do is involuntary. So that's and, why and, I said I understand where you. In this specific from. scenario, I, I just can't. I can't run with that. Oh, I don't disagree with what you were saying. You know at what I'm all. saying because it's it's, <laughs> it's almost like you're removing accountability and replacing it with, oh, I just had no control over that. Yeah. I said for I'm, me, that's responsibility. For me, that is responsibility. Responsibility means how you respond to anything that is happening outside of you. For example, if I'm having a grand ass day and I walk out my house down the street and you bump me on the way to the street, I'm responsible for how I interpret that, it, that interaction. I could say, the fuck are you doing? And now my day's off. I'm not gonna, I can't. When I look at that, I'm just gonna say, Mickey can't blame Matt for bumping into her. She's responsible for how she takes that bump. That's why two people can have the same exact experience and and experience it differently. Because they can the only they can control how they respond to that experience. I could you could bump me and I could be like, "Oh, sorry, brother, see you later." And go on about my day. Mm-hmm. Who decides what that reaction is? Me. Now, I can't decide if I'm not creating space for myself to have that pause between stimulus and reaction. If I don't create space, and the way that I create it is through meditation and deep inquiry, to, to say, okay, I have a choice here. I have a choice of how I want to respond. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the power comes from. Knowing that we always have a choice, even if we choose not to choose. Some people walk through life like, Oh, like your homeboys at the barbershop. Oh, she didn't know. This is how it's going to be. And like says who? Exactly. Says who? People who want to put you in the box. But we ain't living in no box. Fuck out of here. <laughs> Fuck bad. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, man. Let's wrap it up. Give them your Instagrams and your Twitters and all that. My Instagram... I'm not really active on, but please do follow me because there are some exciting things coming up soon. It's Mickey, M-I-K-I underscore Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E. It's lit. Matt Violinist Podcast. Y'all be safe out there. Until next time, we are here. See you later. Wow, I cannot believe we've been talking for three hours.